Welcome back to Skull Sessions. My name is Mike Sindoma, and in today's segment, we're going to be talking uh, more about mental health crisis and management in, in the athletic environment. Uh, the care and management of mental health crisis is, is foreign to most of us uh, athletic trainers outside of the mental health professions. Uh, but as athletic trainers, we have unique relationships with our athletes. Uh, we may very well find ourselves being the first individuals that struggling athletes confide in, uh, or we may be the first ones that are able to observe those types of situations. So uh, we should know how to direct these athletes towards the most appropriate care. And I, I always bring this back to uh, our involvement with orthopedic injuries, right? So, so we have a good idea of what to do when someone hurts their knee. And there's a lot of things that I've found that cross over and uh, in in the way that we handle orthopedic injuries on the field and in an acute setting, there's, there's actually some crossover in the framework or the structure uh, that we can employ in mental health crisis management as well. And so we're, we're here to explore that a little bit more. And in this segment, uh, in our series addressing mental health crisis management, uh, we welcome uh, sports psychologist consultant Kelly Piper of Kelly Piper Sports. And you can learn more about Kelly at kellypipersports.com. Kelly, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I, I'd like to start by, I, I think you have a, a unique perspective and a, and a unique background uh, in, in this. Uh, not to mention that uh, you come from my alma mater at, at the University of Buffalo. And we talked a little bit about that I won't get into uh, you know my lack of performance at the Division One football level, but I, I won't get into that story except this, it, it wasn't productive. Uh, but anyway, uh, give us a little insight into your role as a sports psychology consultant uh, that works primarily with Division One athletes at the University of Buffalo, but but also in your private practice dealing with people outside of that uh, Division One setting. So if you could give us a little insight into that. Um, so I, I'm a, a former athlete. I grew up in the Buffalo area and I was a swimmer. When I went away to college, I was injured um, during my college career, which is how I got into the field of sports psychology. Um, you know, similar to what we're discussing today, just the, um, you know, I was a, a student athlete who in classic form, once I was injured, was kind of crying to my athletic trainer every day um, and said to myself, there, there has got to be more for an athlete to seek and receive, um, you know, additional levels of support around emotional health when they're dealing with the grief and the loss of their sport for the first time since, you know, they were, since they can remember, you know. Um, and so went to school for sports psychology, um, moved back to Buffalo in 2001, and I have been um, working at the University of Buffalo since then and also in private practice. So um, my role in, in both of those areas has evolved over the years as the needs of, of our student athletes have evolved. Um, mental wellness and emotional health has come to the forefront, you know, specifically, I would say over the last, you know, three to five years. Um, it's always been important, um, you know, as we're helping them to build themselves out as you know, productive members of society and to develop um, their own self-awareness about who they are and where they're trying to go, um, using sport as the avenue for that. But, um, 
mental and emotional wellness has been definitely much more out in the forefront over the last few years. Um, so at the University of Buffalo, um, I oversee our student athlete wellness areas. So things like healthy behaviors, violence prevention, um, sleep hygiene, nutrition, stress management, um, mental performance, leadership, those types of things. And then in private practice, um, I work with athletes that are around middle school age, um, up through adulthood, all performance levels and um, really any life skill development or mental performance topics that um, are important to them at the time and also really help families to navigate the crazy world of youth sport um, and all the pieces that come with that as well. I, I found it interesting as, as we were talking the other day uh, leading up to, to today that you really cover the entire spectrum, like a, a holistic care approach, dealing with prevention strategies as well as referrals out. We talked about uh, your referral strategies and as, as well as your role in facilitating recovery. So after you've referred an athlete out uh, and gotten them the help they need, helping them come back to athletics and helping to facilitate and almost mediate that recovery, uh, working with the person that you referred the athlete to, working with that person, the athlete's family, the athlete in, in individually, as well as the athlete as an athlete working back into the field and with their coaches. And I thought that was kind of a unique, holistic approach, if, if you will. Uh, you had mentioned that uh, this topic has come to the forefront over the last three to five years. So I, I had that same sense and thus the, the topic of the podcast. Um, are we seeing a spike in mental health crises in athletics uh, or is it just a, is it an increase in awareness? So are, are we actually seeing more people with crises or are we just more observant of those uh, that have had problems over a long period of time? Well, we know the data definitely shows clearly that young people um, struggle uh, at a higher level now than they did several years ago around mental health. So take athletics out of the mix, but for a variety of reasons that middle school and high school kids all the way up through college um, are continuing to report um, mental health concern at a much higher level and also the suicidal ideation as well. So I think that, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of information that can be explored about that. Personally, um, just speaking anecdotally about it, I think that social media has a lot to do um, with um, that trend as well. Um, the pressures that young people feel around the amount of measurement that happens, whether it's perceived or, or it's reality, um, you know, perceived expectations of getting into college and playing at a particular level or um, just having eyes on them in different areas of their life where they used to potentially have more privacy and downtime. We feel like we always have to be on, um, which can create a lot of pressure and mental health concern as well. So, but I, I think that um, we also have done a better job of advising young people around um, mental health awareness and hopefully normalizing the process through which people can seek support. So I do think that's part of the equation as well is, um, you know, that people get to um, high school or college in general, um, having more of a comfort level 
with that process of help seeking and also even the verbiage that we use, right? And, and normalizing um, just the conversation around mental health where I think several years ago, that was terminology that people didn't necessarily hear as often. You know, that, that was uh, one, of the, one of the questions that, that I had that I was hoping to address at some appropriate time in, in, this, uh, in this series is, is should we be looking at a different, uh, different semantics to describe these? You know, when you say mental health issues, and I, I'm not one to try and be politically correct all the time. I, I like to get to the bottom of things pretty quick, so I, sometimes I can be direct. But sometimes when you say mental health, you, right, right away, a lot of people's mind go to nuts. This, this person's nuts. And especially when we're dealing with younger individuals, uh, younger people, when you tell someone that there's a mental health, health issue, their mind goes to their nuts. They're clinically nuts. And you know, how do we get away from that so that we can get away from the fact that this person now, that, that this person now has the perception that you think they're nuts when they're not nuts, they just need mental health support, very similar to they might need some rehab if they hurt their knee. It's as simple, it really is as simple as that. But the perception is if you, if you go to a counselor because you wanna work on some mental health things, you're nuts. So, I mean, do, do we need to start changing uh, the semantics, I guess, uh, or, or some of the, the terminology that we use? Is, is it more effective for us to change the terminology or do we need to just have a better understanding of what the terminology we use now actually means and getting people to understand that, that they're not nuts? And I think that, um, as you said earlier, having um, having that behavior and conversation modeled from um, athletes that young people look up to um, is, a, is a great place to start. I think that's part of what has helped to normalize some of this conversation. Um, there's some great documentaries and interviews out there, um, even you know professional Olympic level athletes who are starting to have more conversations right. around their own journeys um, to just talk about really to me where the white noise comes in and the culture of athletics is the vulnerability that's attached to mental wellness you know having conversations about how it aligns with physical wellness right and how it's all connected that you know it's a very vulnerable place to be to say that you are someone who needs support in that area right and it's you know also in our society has for years been stigmatized right generally and then you look at a population of athletes who are high performing driven right the line in the sand continues to move and it is an extremely vulnerable place to be to say i'm not well i need help i'm struggling right so i think that's where the conversation lies for us right now is as we're modeling that behavior as administrators, right? And professionals in, in athletics is to have those conversations, you know, that, that everyone struggles, right? And to be vulnerable with each other in ways that are gonna allow for those conversations to happen. Um, so a part of it is verbiage. I think using the term wellness 
and aligning that with, like you said, a holistic model. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's all these pillars, right? You can't get three hours of sleep a night and expect to be excellent as a human, <laughs> right? We can't eat junk food all day and expect to be excellent as a human. All those things are pillars of wellness. When we choose to view them that way, that's how mental wellness looks for us too, if we're on board with viewing it that way, right? Um, but I think especially um, when we have young people who are, you know, they're modeling what they see and the people they're spending so much time with that are in the field of athletics, it's on us to be out in front of, of having those conversations and to develop our own comfort level with, you know, how those conversations need to sound with the people that are, you know, that are entrusting, right? Their well-being mm -hmm. to us. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, for athletic trainers, <laughs> you know, it's, it's almost cliche. You probably hear it all the time, but you know, it's, you hear more of so many pieces of your athletes' lives than many of you would ever want to know, but you <laughs> hear it. Sure. That's right. That's right. TMI. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure you've heard this, right? But it's kind of like, you know, um, you guys are, are like when somebody is in a bar and you've worked at a bar for years and you have a regular that you know more about their life than their family does, right? It's, yeah. And it's, it's pieces that are embedded into them spending so much time with you as athletic trainers. And so you wear so many important hats. So to me, that's where the opportunity lies um, in not only, you know, the crisis management piece, but really for all of us in the culture of athletics, investing in our athletic trainers so that they have a comfort level as professionals to sort of, you know, have the confidence in everything that they bring to the table to, you know, um, be able to have these conversations with their athletes as well, because many times you spend more time with them than their families do. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so, so the, to me, the first piece of that when we're talking about sort of deconstructing the mental health conversation is that you all knowing, um, knowing who your athletes are from a baseline so that when you are starting to see subtle behavior shifts, you know, subtle shifts in energy, they never miss a rehab appointment and all of a sudden they show up late or they don't text you when they're going to miss or um, they're really short and moody when they're typically high energy. Um, you know, li little things like that, having the conversations when you're noticing those things can help to offset some of those conversations. Would you say, the, is, is there an increase in mental health issue rates with athletes relative to the general population? Um, yeah, so, so depending, on, um, depending on what studies you read, right, and, and what particular piece of the population you're looking at, um, we know in college athletics, it very much mirrors the college population, which is about 25 to 30%. Um, so, but, but it's really relatively recent over, you know, when you look at um, the history of collegiate athletics, right? And, and humans have been humans <laughs> in a lot of ways all this time coming up through, right? Um, it's pretty new in how we're gathering the information, right? But what the NCA has found, um, you know, is it's about 25 to 30% or so of um, student athletes report 
some sort of mental health concern over their time as a student athlete. Now, to, to piece that out a little bit, um, we do have student athletes that, of course, are going to come to campus um, with pre-existing mental health concern or signs and symptoms of pre-existing mental health concern that may or may not be diagnosed yet. Um, or maybe they get to campus and now they have the support structure to be able to walk alongside them and encourage that they seek that help where they didn't before um, and it's available to them. And then of course life happens when they get to college, um, you know, whether there's, um, you know, a family loss or, um, you know, they struggle because of, you know, a role shift for them. They were big fish, little pond, and then mm -hmm. got to college and, you know, um, what they expected their role to be on their team is much different, you know, once they're actually on a roster and it can rock their world. Um, or an injury happens, same thing. So we, we it's, it's interesting, all right, so um, it appears, let's, let's take the numbers that you gave us from the NCAA, 25 to 30%, right? So, and that seems to mirror the general population of, of collegiate students. But yet we hear so much about all the physical and mental benefits of participating in athletics. So why, why doesn't, uh, why, wouldn't it make sense then that we would see a, a reduced level of uh, mental health issues in athletes because we're participating and we're getting all these benefits out of physical activity, team sport dynamics and all of that. So why, why, would, why wouldn't we expect to see a decline or a decrease relative to the general population in athletics? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, a lot of the benefit that um, in the general population or at a, a less competitive level that we would see um, is overused at, at a level like Division I athletics for a lot of athletes. So chronic fatigue, um, chronic, um, you know, stress, expectations, um, you know, again, adjustment issues when they get to campus and um, they struggle with their role on a team and it's an identity crisis for them. Um, one of the things that definitely contributes to that is, you know, and this is my terminology, but, you know, a lot of times they feel like they're just in a fishbowl. Um, they, they don't have a day, they don't have, you know, an opportunity when they're on campus and in, in that time of their lives to just be accountable to themselves alone. There's eyes on them constantly. They can't go somewhere and hide for a little while. No, and, and, and it can be really overwhelming and really exhausting to feel like your locus of control is over here, right? And how you spend your time. Um, you know, who you're responsible to reporting to and um, you wake up in the morning and your schedule is, is packed, right? Um, you're traveling for competition and you are missing two exams and you're responsible when you get back and have spent all night traveling to sit for those exams. It just goes on and on. Some, some people wouldn't have a lot of empathy for that. You know, so, some people, uh, I've heard the comment, uh, well, they get paid millions of dollars to run around in tights and catch footballs. You know, so, so what could possibly be wrong with them? You know, what possible stress could they have? You know, they're, they're making millions of dollars. 
uh, they're going to school for free on a Division One scholarship, or you know they they play game uh, they play a game all day for a living. Now you you had talked about stre- the stressors that athletes face. You you kind of categorize all this as stressors. So talk about the stressors that athletes face and and how you you know shine some light on how those stressors might be different than uh, the person out the general populace might might experience or you know explain how those stressors are are really relevant to a person who is also an athlete sure well to go back to your point i think you know um if if there's folks that have not been in the shoes of an athlete at that level right and and i think for for folks that are probably going to be in the audience here we're preaching to the choir a bit right (laughs) um But I I do really think truly um, it would not take more than one day to understand um, the rigor of being a student athlete. So that in itself is um, exhausting. Now, it is important for athletes to understand that every day they have a choice in this lifestyle. So part of how we help them to cope with the stressors of choosing the lifestyle being a student athlete at this level is that it is a choice. They can walk away. You know, it may not feel like that. Their perception may not be that that's the truth, but they're 18 to 23 year olds that have their own free will and and can make the decision on what to do next. So that is actually a strategy in helping them to center and reduce some of the stress that they carry is, is to bring them back to, you know, let's talk about what it would look like if you walked away from this. What would stress look like on the other side of the fence? You know, financial stress, um, how would you spend your time that you're typically spending in an athletics building, right? And those types of things. So, um, but really where the stress comes from is, is feeling like a lot of times there's no light at the end of the tunnel. They feel like, you know, every day is, is planned out. They wake up in the morning and go to lift and then go to class and go to study hall, have team meetings, watch film, go back to practice, back to study hall. And, you know, 15 hours later, they're back to their room, you know? Um, And so that as a human can feel really overwhelming. And what we do know is that the number one thing that athletes will report when we're getting into the area of mental health concern is that they're overwhelmed. That's typically one of the first things that we hear. I'm just overwhelmed. It's just, it, it never seems like I'm doing enough to get ahead, to feel like I'm on even ground, right? You had mentioned uh, social support loss, loss of position on a team, uh, grief, uh, and, and those are those are terms that I, I think are fairly common in mental health uh, discussions, uh, even outside of athletics. But talk to me a little bit about social support loss. What, what does that mean for an athlete? Uh, loss of position on a team. How does how does that equate to social support loss? I, I thought that conversation we had leading up to this program was was really insightful and and and, and, and grief in terms of grief about losing a position on a team or grief of injury? I mean, explain to me those stressors that, that athletes 
that athletes experience. Sure, and 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 living in COVID nineteen right now, where you know um, that's a whole other layer of um, you know exactly what you just said. So whether an athlete um, you know is, is dealing with any sort of transition um, to their identity for whatever the reason is, whether they have an acute or chronic injury happen, whether there's um, some sort of illness, whether they are on a new or different team or different role on the team and their um, identity may shift because of that. What we're dealing with with COVID right now and there being so much unknown, athletes not being able to engage that piece of who they are like they're used to doing can feel really out of control. Um, so it's very closely linked to a grief and loss model. Um, and we talk about that a lot for athletes who are going through those experiences is, um, you know, when we look at who they are, and if you break up the pieces of their identity into um, a pie chart, right, their, their piece of who they are that is linked to athletic participation for many of them is the biggest piece of the puzzle, right? The biggest piece of who they are. They introduce themselves to somebody, what's the first thing they say? They're an athlete in such and such sport. They've been saying it for years. Well, when that comes into question, it rocks their world, right? So, you know, going through those stages and helping an athlete understand why it hurts so much emotionally, why it's so uncomfortable, why there's so many questions going through their head, why it feels really vulnerable to wonder what their future looks like, help them to understand that this is a huge part of who you are. And so that that's why it's so uncomfortable, right? And being able to help them to, you know, develop some coping strategies that are effective and healthy and to ground themselves in other areas of who they are and explore those things um, to look outside of their current situation, right? Um, on a social support piece as related to that, that also shifts when an athlete is, you know, having any sort of shift to their athletic identity. So if they're dealing with an injury and they're on the sidelines during practice and they're not engaged with their team, that's a shift in their social support. When they are not bringing the same amount of value to the team that, you know, they either anticipated or their coach has seen in them, can shift their relationship with their coach and the amount of support either perceived or real right communication engagement um that comes from their coach right they may um you know lose the opportunity to go to team dinner because they're in the training room instead so that fellowship that happens around the table after practice they're out of the loop right because they're in the training room for rehab um, and the same thing applies right now to what we're experiencing with, with COVID-19. And over the last eight months, our student athletes at really any level, um, one, of the, one of the really um, important um, reasons and, and intrinsic pieces for, for athletes on what brings them back every day is that team dynamic, right? and um, the relationships, right? And that social support, and that's all been <laughs> removed for many of them, um, which is what has been really challenging. Not only did, have they lost their sport, right? And, and their participation and possibly the future of their, you know, um, 
athletic career, they've also lost the social aspect of it. Such is the rationale for uh, a big emphasis in athletic training to get an athlete re-engaged with their team as quickly as you can, get them out of the clinical setting and get them re-engaged with their peers, uh, getting them re-engaged with their team. And that, that might look like a couple different things in the injury recovery or rehab process, right? It, it could be uh, we just let them, they finish up their rehab and they get to go out and just hang out at practice for a little while to kind of re-engage with their peers and make them feel like they're still inherently part of the team to keep you know to to let them have that social interaction with their teammates um, but that might not also that that might not always be the best place for them right uh, we we talked uh, about how that may actually lead to more problems if if uh, that that may that may cause them to feel even more grief even more loss because they're it's it's highlighting their identity shift if you will if i could phrase it that way would that be accurate yeah and 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 that's where it's really not a cookie cutter approach um you know we we really have to look at um for injury in particular that that's a trauma that an athlete has experienced and so to really come at it in like a trauma-informed way just meaning you you really want to understand the human response to that first before we talk about the athletic response to that and, and to sit with them and have them unpack what it might look like and sound like and feel like to be on the sidelines, um, you know, and, and to have them be part of that reintegration process and feel empowered to, you know, um, have some ownership over what that looks like. They may not know till they get out there and try it, right? Um, but to give them the space to own some of that and say, you know, I, this, this is not helping me. Yeah. And that, that, that's foreign, I think, uh, or, or at least a, a great concept to bring up for athletic trainers is that it's our focus is, you know, our thought process is, Hey, let's, let's get them back out. Let's let them do some stuff out there and get, but that's not necessarily, we have to be a little more aware of that person individually and realize that you might not be in a place for that right now. I, I think there's also, that's a great opportunity to have some conversations on um, what else can we do with that time, right? If we are going to um, have them on the sidelines, right? Um, or even not, you know, we don't want them home stewing either, right? So, so we say, how are we going to fill that time and actively helping you move forward, right? So we're not going to not be at practice and not be doing anything productive, right? Just what that looks like may be different for some athletes. So it may be mental rehearsal that's around healing imagery. And, and so we talk about doing a, um, you know, a healing imagery script. It may be some mindfulness exercises. It may be mental rehearsal that has them on the sidelines, but actively doing the mental piece of engaging in what the team is actively doing, right? So um, that they have something constructive to focus on if we're gonna have them on the sidelines, that they feel like they're in some way, shape or form engaged with what the team's doing. Rather than just sitting around watching everybody do what they wanna be doing. <laughs> Even if they're on the bike or, you know, still their yeah. mind is miles an hour, right? So, right. Um, 
So I think it goes back to, and, and I really think it's, it's, it's a great gift to be able to give them for lack of a better way to say it when they feel like they've lost so much within that, that injury or, you know, whatever the situation is to give them some control and ownership of the process of getting back is, is hugely powerful. Would you say, uh, kind of going off this idea, this inner, uh, identity shift, would you say that that is why a lot of the issues that athletes have that we've heard about in the media, you know, some of the, the Olympic athletes that you alluded to, some of the professional football players that have come out over the last couple of weeks, um, and historically, we tend to hear about the mental health issues that they've had over their career after they retire after they're done. So would, would you say that that is a huge identity shift for that athlete that to, to retire from the sport and you take away, as you say, that huge part of the pie that, identi- that, that, that defines them? Is, is, that why, uh, is that why we hear so much about this after their careers are over? Well, and, and I think that's a great question. I think there's, there's a couple pieces to that. So hopefully that will shift as we do a better job normalizing mental health across the board, right? It becomes more of the conversation. And so, and, and I think that if we can, we can do a better job of looking at a holistic wellness model for an athlete to begin with, right? So mental wellness isn't over here and all the physical pieces are in a separate pod, right? That can change the conversation. Um, but absolutely on the transition out of sport, it can be a significant, um, almost a crisis level for athletes on their way out if um, they have not had that gradual transition of identity that we hope happens naturally for them. Um, So we talk to, you know, at the college level, we'll talk to our incoming athletes about you know, um, the identity piece and how that how that looks in relation to the rest of who they are. We hope that that piece of the pie gradually gets smaller as they get ready to transition out and become a pro in life, <laughs> right? And so it doesn't mean that they're not engaged and focused, you know, and, and a great teammate as a senior, right? Um, and, and still bring it every day, but the place that it holds for them as a human being has shifted so that they're ready to move on and do other things. For an athlete who's playing at the professional level, it it becomes even a more important conversation because you have so much, so much else wrapped up, right? It has become their work. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's identity in different ways, if that makes sense, right? Um, but absolutely, I think that I mean that's that's. That's part of where the support team needs to know their athletes well enough to know, you know, when that conversation starts happening to give them the tools to be able to do that in a healthy way. So we, we, we have athletes that are under these uh, somewhat unique stress stresses. Um, and we have this concept of these identity shifts that, that can happen throughout one's career as an athlete. Uh, whether it be due to a, an injury or, or what, some circumstance during their career. Um, what, what causes that identity shift or what causes that stressor to turn into a mental crisis? 
what 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 happened what is it that cre- you know for some we can manage that and and it, it doesn't affect us quite as much but for others it throws it, it has the opportunity to ignite a crisis what happens what what happens to create that that scenario sure well there's you know just like any any other you know um, piece that we're talking about around a human being right there's there's so many moving parts right so um, you know if if someone baseline may have um, you know generalized mental health concerns um, anxiety depression right um, that runs through as a thread in their lives right that may make it difficult for them to transition or adjust, right? Just as a person that can also obviously present, um, you know, in, in their athletic transition as well. The other, the other piece is, you know, how athletes come up through placing value on the other areas of their life. Um, you know, so if, if a kid comes up through and they're told, um, you know, or they, they carry that they're not a great student, they're a great athlete, you know, and that continues to be perpetuated for them around the messaging, right? And we don't help as support team to draw out and focus and place value on the other pieces of who they are, right? All we're doing is perpetuating, right? When it's like the bottom drops out. Right. Well, well mm-hmm. who am I? Who, who am I? So that's on us to make sure in the athletics culture, right? That we continually mentor that, right? How's school, how's your family? You know, let's talk about big picture. What are your goals in life outside of sport? If sport ended tomorrow, who are you? You know, what are you passionate about? Talk to me about your why, like, you know, as, as a human, right? If there wasn't sport, let's talk about what else, you have so much else that you bring to the table. Those are the conversations that if they don't happen, we're setting ourselves up for a fall. Yeah, I can see. I can certainly see that. I can certainly see how that conversation would be hard to have with an athlete whose sole focus is on performance. Uh, you know, if if that is their identity, and they are focused on, I'm going to finish. I'm going to get this Division One scholarship, and then I'm going to get drafted, and then I'm going to play professional football. Um, that's what my focus is. I'm all my eggs are in that basket. I'm, you know, the, I don't have a fallback plan because I'm full steam ahead. I'm going to be a professional athlete. And and the challenge with that is that they're one concussion or ACL away from that concussion, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's a split second, and so it it's the the conversations are there's so much more to. Um, I think, again, the opportunity that we have as athletics professionals to know them as people and help them explore the rest. I mean, and if they're in the training room, they're hanging out, right? Right. Fun conversation to be able to have with them. You know, what else would you be if you weren't an athlete? Um, You know, or depending on, you know, um, their family background and all of that too, just kind of understanding the the level of support that they have going on being able to work some of that to help them develop some of those pieces. And I would, I would see how that would have to be an ongoing conversation right from the very start, because you brought up a great point that if you get somebody to the division one level or 
it, it doesn't matter what level they're at actually uh, it and their identity is is built around being an athlete if that's an overwhelming majority piece of that pie and you're not having that conversation let's say as a parent you're not having that conversation with them right away maybe you're thinking well we're going to let this run its course when we get to the when we get to college we'll start talking to them about how you know we have to start thinking about what your plan outside of athletics that that's that's great to be thinking along those lines but the floor falls out immediately if they get hurt if if they tear their ACL and you know, on Wednesday, they were fine. You know, 75% of their pie was being an athlete. And now on Thursday, it's 0% because, you know, that's been taken away from them. So this isn't a conversation you can plan to have when you see the career of an athlete starting to wind down at whatever level. Maybe, they're at, maybe their career is winding down as a senior in high school. Maybe their career is winding down as a Division three football player. Maybe it's winding down as a Division One swimmer, um, you know. So you can't really, you can't really wait to see when an athlete's career is winding down. This is something that, you know, a conversation you need to be having with them all the time. Well, it, the thing is that there's there's so there's so much unknown. Exactly to your point, right? Is injury is one piece of it, right? But if if an athlete's identity is is so tied up in the athletic participation, right? Um, and their role on the team. And let's say coach A leaves and coach B comes in, right? Different philosophy, different politics, and the bottom drops out because yeah. they're all on the team. Right. Right. Game time shift. So, um, a, a, you know, a team gets cut. They discontinue a sport, right? It's like, well, what the heck do I do now? You know, just anything can happen right um of course injury is you know is, is a huge is a huge challenge to that but you know um in the moment you know as an acute piece but there's there's so many other uncontrollables that you know can just they need they need to be to be ready <laughs> right you know as much as possible and and there are there are you know it's it's this this huge spectrum right as as far as helping them explore what their baseline is and going from there this this goes back to a kind of a fundamental uh fundamental thought i've had on this as as i explored this mental health piece more and more and, and i think i alluded to it at the beginning of the conversation that this has to be a holistic approach right from the beginning right from the day somebody a, a son or daughter decides that they're going to play youth football or youth soccer uh, or you know the the day that they decide they're going to start playing a sport almost immediately they're in the weight room we're watching their nutrition right everything is performance based from the point that you decide you know they decide that they want to play soccer all of a sudden that piece of the pie as a soccer player starts to grow and grow and grow and all of a sudden we're in the weight room we're running we're training and conditioning but the mental piece isn't there. So, you know, maybe it's strength, conditioning, mental health, diet, and nutrition. And I think you alluded that at the beginning, but we got to get that somehow we have to get that piece in, in there very quickly as, you know, it's as soon as they go into the weight room, maybe there's physical training and there's mental health training as well, just to prepare them for the day when the floor falls out. 
and and we could then we could get into the conversation of early specialization right oh my gosh let's not yeah let, let's not open that can of worms <laughs> that's all mindset too yeah, and, and yeah. it's subliminal messaging right yeah. and it, it can be pressure filled for a young person who knows that mom and dad have invested a b and c for them to mm. Um, so that's actually probably more than you would you would think for somebody who's a middle school or high school athlete. I come into the conversation on that end of the spectrum a lot of times is, yeah. you know, there we've invested and and now we're seeing it, that it's more stressful, you know, versus you know trying to kind of continue on that positive path is, you know, we have the private coach, we have, you know, we're doing the strength conditioning sessions, we have the nutritionist and, and the performance is decreasing. <laughs> and, and they're in their head, they're so in their head. You know, um, it's like, well, I have to perform, there's no stone left unturned. Yeah, so that that brings up, a, you know, the a, an interesting point that we think of these stressors and these identities as being uh, characteristic of high performance athletes at, at the division one level or at the professional level, but uh, right down to youth soccer, right? As, as soon as you start to engage in athletics, those stressors can be there even for a 12 year old, right? And, and are those stressors any different than a, to a 12 year old than they are to a 23 year old who just got drafted? Those stressors are the same perception wise anyway right well and that's that's part of why you know the dropout rate for youth sport is so high too you know when when we were participating in youth sport it was like go out and play pickup right and and it, this is another conversation that almost has become cliche in our world at this point is talking about youth sport and the negativity right and 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 it's um you know it's it's a difficult it's a whole different model it's and it's a difficult thing to kind of like wrap your arms around when you think about um you know travel sport and and competitive youth sport and um how different it looks and yes you know of course they're going to be burnout <laughs> yeah you know, um it's we're we're treating them like they're professional athletes when they're 12. right <laughs> right that, that's both mentally and physically. I mean, we see overuse injuries and everything that, and, and, you know, just because, uh, again, we could open Pandora's box here with, with the, the wealth of topics we could cover relative to that. But, you know, whether they are mentally uh, developed enough to handle those stresses, in addition, to, we know that, generally speaking, they're not physically mature enough to handle the stress of, of constant training and conditioning and playing all year round multiple sports. We know that. So why wouldn't it, it makes complete sense that they're not mentally ready for that as well. Um, so we, we talked about a lot, uh, stressors and, and identity shifts and, and, and the like. Um, and we talked a little bit about your role early on. We talked about your role in all of this. So, Obviously, athletes are going to come to you for a wide array of, of, of issues. Um, you had mentioned that there's, there's a threshold. So tell me about your threshold of when this is something that is in your wheelhouse and when this is something that is 
that is starting to cross over and, and maybe leave your wheelhouse. So how do you make that decision? Uh, because I, I don't mean to, to say this in a negative way whatsoever, so please don't take it that way. Um, you're not a clinical psychologist, right? We, we, made, we made that distinction early on. So um, in essence, the way I, the way I look at, at your expertise is that athletic trainers, uh, again, I don't mean any of this in a derogatory fashion, but as we're talking about mental health issues, athletic trainers are kind of that first person on the rung. I see you a little bit, a couple of rungs above the athletic trainer in terms of what you are uh, trained to see your level of expertise in dealing with this, right? And then there are clinical psychologists and, and other mental health professionals that are maybe a rung or two above the ladder than uh, above you on the ladder. So where, where does, where's the line for you when, okay, this is out of my wheelhouse. I need, this athlete needs more help than I am. It's out of my scope of practice. Yep. So, yeah, and really my area of specialization is around the cultural competency in athletics, right? And that holistic wellness piece. And the mental health piece is, is a really important piece of that. It's one piece of that, that puzzle. So the lifestyle of a student athlete and all of those things, right? Um, so I specifically do not do clinical assessment um, therapy, um, clinical mental health. So... Um, to your question, I think, again, is first of all, um, when connecting with a student athlete is understanding their baseline and what would be considered their normal, right? And then when I notice red flags of them deviating from that normal, or when they share with me um, concerns that are impeding their quality of life, right, or their overall wellness because of specific things that they're sharing with me, signs and symptoms, right? Um, then those are the times when I will err on the side of, the, of caution and at least consult with a, with a trusted professional on what I'm seeing and hearing. And then from there, um, and I typically will, um, if it's even a question, refer, recommend that a student athlete um, seek out specifically mental health support. To me, it's the more hands on deck, the more support we're providing for the student athlete, the better off that person is going to be. Right. Um, you know, and so I always will tell a student athlete, whatever age, whatever um, performance level, um, first and foremost is that, you know, I take very seriously my responsibility as a professional to sit them across from the person that's going to provide the best care. And whether that's me or someone else in a specific area of specialization, um, you know, that that's my responsibility is, is to help them be at their best. So, so when it does kind of bleed into um, the mental health piece, I have several professionals, um, that I work very closely with, whether depending on what, what the athlete's dealing with and what age they are, um, you know, whether it's um, somebody that specializes in teen behavior, right, um, family issues, um, trauma-informed therapy specifically, if the athlete has gone through something specific that they've shared, um, whatever the case may be, eating disorders. So you have... Uh... You have a little bit more 
probably quite a bit more of a knowledge base than the average athletic trainer is in, in identifying these different types of situations. And it sounds to me like you probably have a more extensive referral network as well. You know, it, to, to have individuals that you consult with on a, on a condition-specific level, uh, I, you know, that, that's not something that most athletic trainers, especially secondary school uh, athletic trainers, are going to have access to. So what would you suggest to the average athletic trainer in the secondary school setting or maybe even in you know, the Division II or Division III uh, collegiate levels that don't have, that may not have access to that network of professionals. What, what, what is the threshold and where is the first go for a referral out for whatever condition, that, you know, any, if, if an athletic trainer just senses that, you know, things aren't lining up the way that they should line up and some help needs to be had, what, what's the first line uh, for someone that doesn't have that support network in place that you do. Sure. And I think that, you know, that's not that that's something that I've had to seek out as a professional mm -hmm. um, and and really network on my own to um, to really find folks that I feel like are a good fit for the athletic population specifically. And it's taken a long time. Um, so, you know, I, I would say, you know, for an athletic trainer is that, you know, one of the things that's important to spend some time doing in your own particular community is to make those connections. Um, call someone like myself or someone in a similar role, um, connect and, and develop that relationship and ask those questions and ask for a list of folks in the community. And then um, outside of a crisis situation, spend some time, you know, understanding from that professional's point of view what to look for. I think that hopefully as a staff too, um, that's a priority as well around the educational piece. But I think there's a significant difference in doing, you know, a webinar on mental health or, you know, sharing the web pages with, a, there's a vast amount of information out there around um, signs and symptoms and red flags and what to look for. To me, that's completely different than having someone that you trust as a professional that you can pick up the phone and, um, and, and, and that's very individual from athletic trainer to athletic trainer, you know. So understanding the structure of, you know, what your school district or athletic department look like, it may be somebody within the district, it may not. It may be somebody you feel more comfortable with that's in the community. Right, right. It's, it's, it's honestly the same advice that I give our, our student athletes is that have a person, you know, and, and have a person that, that you kind of jive with, that you trust, right, that gets it, that you really respect, um, that, you know, when you have a question and you need to talk through something that you know, you know, you're going to get real quality solid information and be able to move forward with that and feel confident about it yeah i like that it's good stuff yeah so um circling back i i liked your whole uh holistic approach to this and and i'm a prevention advocate for for everything you know it's it's let, let's deal with this before it becomes a mental health crisis um so i i've talked routinely throughout this segment about the idea of addressing this earlier 
addressing it as part of the strength and conditioning process, you know, the, the overall holistic approach to an athlete. Um, so I, I think that is another segment. I, th I think we could spend a whole nother hour on that alone. And I think that's what we might plan to do. So if, if I could, in wrapping this segment up, maybe make some plans to hit you back and, and, and maybe catch up with you again and, and look at some of your prevention strategies, what, what you do to help athletes cope with the stressors that you know athletes are, are subject to. Uh, and, and what are some things that you do to help them cope with the identity shifts over their careers or, or maybe the traumatic identity shift that happens as a result of some injury or, or a other type of loss of position on a team or something like that. I'd, I'd like to have that follow-up conversation with you. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's tools in the toolkit just like in any other area yeah. of your life, right? So, um, you know, making that investment to it, it's, it's forming habits, right. That are, um, serving us in a right. way that's us to our goals, right. Just like they're doing with you guys physically, right. Prevention and, um, you know, healthy habits physically, it's the same thing mentally. So, um, and, and candidly, that's for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. Uh, Kelly, thank you very much. I, I appreciate your time. Uh, your expertise and your willingness, willingness to give us that time today. I thought it was very insightful. There was some good stuff that we talked about. And I will look forward to talking to you again in a future segment.